another edition of the Our Football Podcast, episode 57. I'm Amelia Lopez. Thank you guys so much for joining us. A lot of stuff coming today, this episode. Uh, as always, to join me is my counterpart, Adriana Terrazas. Adriana, how are you today? I'm great, Amy. We have Liga Max just like just around the corner. Um, it's been scary. It's been nerve-wracking. It's been postponed <laughs> um, twice. Um, but still, I mean, just the fact that Liam X is back, I mean, we talked about this, just the, the joy of seeing sports on the television after three months of not having practically anything, really. Um, I don't know, it, it, is, it's, it is something that kind of cheers you up, despite the fact that it's been so difficult and it's such a rocky road getting to this point, and it still is. But still, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to have the teams back. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about that. Liga MX is coming back, and apparently COVID cases are still rising. So that's definitely something we're going to be talking about. Talk about some Liga MX feminine stuff, including a, a, a jersey announcement and some not good stuff happening over at Chivas. Well, we don't know what's going on. That's the crazy part. And, of course, as we mentioned last week, we have a really good segment with Tatiana Briseños of León Femenil also creator of Campeonas MX, who's going to be talking about her Pioneras campaign that she has going on for the month of July. Um, but to start off, Adriana, like you were saying, uh, yeah, Liga MX is among us once again. Uh, the season is set to start today. Actually, we're recording on Friday, so we're just a few actually minutes away from it starting. But the COVID tests are still coming, and two games have already been delayed. Yeah, I mean... It's it's been so so difficult so to deal with with everything that's been going on because we've had so many players test out positive after Copa por México, um, just play, even teams that weren't participating tested out positive. We have three players in Chivas besides Coach Tena. We have two players confirmed in America, and they're still waiting on 11 other tests because obviously all the labs are also really really backed up with with all these testing that they have to do. So. Um, we have that. Um, I actually think Pachuca was the first team to come forward and say, hey, we tested out like 40-something players and we're all good. So I'm really happy that at least one team doesn't have any positive cases. Um, but it's been so difficult. We've heard from players in, in Monterrey. We've heard from players in Tigres. Um, three weeks ago, I think it was, Santos had 10 players test out positive. Um, we had San Luis president test out positive. We had the league president test positive. So it's it it's been crazy in that sense because I don't think we've heard of any other league, not only soccer league, but just any other league in general, have that many cases um, in in, in the, the size of a pool that we have for for players and and coaching staff in Liga MX. So it's it's been a challenge. Um, they did postpone two games. We had um, Juarez Atlético de San Luis. Uh, apparently, that what they were going to make the the Liga MX debut. They had to postpone that for Monday. Well, technically, it was supposed to start yesterday, right? Yeah, we, we should be talking about having our first league match already, like, in the books. <laughs> um, but they did. Atletico San Luis Juarez was postponed for Monday after Juarez had, uh, I believe it was like seven or eight players test out positive. And then they also postponed Mazatlan versus Puebla. So I, I think we were all kind of eager also looking at Mazatlan's first game. I mean, sadly enough, it, it isn't, um, they won't have any fans at their stadiums, obviously, but it was going to be great to actually see that stadium for the first time. We will see it on Monday. And the thing is, um, from what I can understand from looking at what, what coaches and, and the staff have been saying is, it's not that we think that in four days we're going to get all those players back because obviously they have to be quarantined for at least a couple of weeks. It's just that we have to make a team now that doesn't have all those players. So they're looking into 
giving opportunities to all their U20 teams and bringing in all those younger players um, and making sure that they do have a team, not their best team, but just any team that represents the club uh, be available for when, whenever they have to play. So it seems as though this is going to be something that might go on several weeks. I mean, Chivas will also have to change uh, all those three players. We know one of them is Beltran. We know the other one is Ronaldo Cisneros. Um, so, and uh, yeah, Duna. so Antuna came in. <laughs> His wife was the one that actually revealed on Twitter that it's he was just, the one. You know, okay. And speaking of like, speaking of just like the problematic part of this, right? Because it's like you said, it doesn't seem like any league has had this huge of a problem. Like even MLS for all, well, I mean, technically MLS, two teams had to come out of the tournament, right? Bundesliga had one team that had to pl- not play the first week of the tournament or the first two weeks. So there have been like these issues, but it almost seems like there's like an omission of things happening here, right? Because we've already heard that the Luka player that wasn't, um, that was like tested positive, but yet they still had him go to go train. Kind of sketchy, right? And then with Antuna, wasn't it apparently that like they said he was asymptomatic, but then his wife is showing like stories on Instagram that he's actually pretty sick and so is she? Like it just feels like there's this huge disconnect going on. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and that's what's what I fear the most is, I mean, it, it's not that we've we've lost um, any sense of how dangerous this is, but we've seen so many athletes come forward and say that they're they tested it positive, but they're asymptomatic. So it's kind of like something we're kind of, we're used to. We're saying, oh yeah, I mean these are athletes, they're so healthy. Um, I do fear for the the time that one of them won't be as healthy as we think and might get those symptoms, and then we'll start fearing this for what it is. I mean, a really potentially dangerous and really really lethal virus. So. I mean, it's just, it, it seems like a Russian roulette sometimes. It's like, oh, yeah, well, they might get sick, but hey, I mean, they're probably going to do well. These are people, these are, you know, they, they exercise every day. They have to really healthy regimes and they eat well and everything. So, I mean, nothing will happen to them. But then on the other hand, you know, like, dude, how many times or how many of these athletes have to get, have to test positive before we actually do worry that one of them doesn't? I mean, that, it, that, it, that does develop all those symptoms. I mean, you also go back to like, there has to be there ha- like even if they don't say it publicly which i again I, I don't know what the what the protocol is for that but there's no way that Mazatlan testing positive them still playing that game and then Chivas testing positive is not correlated in some way so like the, you're you're going to end up seeing like this constant connection like I, like america players now testing positive cuz they face Chivas you know like there's there has to be a correlation of this happening for somebody to go hey wait a second maybe we need to delay it a little bit longer i don't know it's it's hard right but it's also hard because they're also not in isolation like it's not mls where like everybody was testing positive but then they stuck somebody in isolation and now eventually they've gotten to a point where towards the end of the tournament nobody's testing positive anymore nba is kind of around the the similar situation you know, Europe is, I mean, Europe is Europe. We're all staring here, you know, sadly looking at all the stuff that they've done. But it doesn't feel like there's like a proper protocol that we can go, okay, well, they're in isolation. So they'll just isolate that player. Like, no, they still have to go play, possibly go home. Like, it's, it's, it, it's, it, like, it's giving me that weird, like, tingly sensation. I don't like it. <laughs> I know. It, it is, uh, it, it does get you nervous. I mean, because we also saw, um, I mean, unlike the MLS, which has done tests, I think, I mean, before they actually traveled to the bubble, they had to have two tests 72 hours before traveling. And then once they arrived at the Orlando Hotel. And you know what's really scary? I mean, you had all these players test out negative 72 hours before getting on a plane. 
and hours later they tested positive. I mean, it's just that quick. I mean, it's not that they, um, I don't know, went somewhere else in the meantime or they were really exposed to so many things. I mean, it was just like, dude, you, you tested out negative and you went to you went to the airport, you got on a plane and then you, once you got to the hotel, you tested positive. I mean, that's just scary as hell. Yeah, and I think as, and it goes back to that human aspect of athletes being human beings, right? As a player, how are you feeling? Like if you're like if you're a Chivas player who or like whatever team, like I'm any, anybody, because at this point they've all I think not everybody, right? But the teams that have positive cases, like you're you're probably slightly scared as a player. You're like, do I even want to play? It is my livelihood, of course. But to what extent am I going to risk myself? Even if they are healthy, like you're saying, even if they are healthy and there's a chance they'll bounce back from this, we're seeing some underlying issues to this virus. So it's not just like, oh, they'll get sick, they'll get over it, and then everything will be okay. Like, we're seeing instances and stories of what's going to happen. But, I mean, we're, it's, what, right now we're recording, it's like 5.05 Pacific Standard Time. We're about less than 20 minutes away from the first game happening. I mean, I don't know. We'll we'll see. We'll definitely see. Yeah, I agree. It's just going to be like, I don't know, just... I don't know. It's going to be like a day by day thing. I, I couldn't guarantee like anything. I can't guarantee that there will be like a league next week, um, let alone tomorrow. So it's it's been difficult. I, I really appreciate the way how, how professional some teams have been. I under, It's been really difficult. Because also, some of the clubs have actually come forward to say who are the players that are infected. And obviously, this is with their consent. But still, I mean, it's something delicate, something that it's not, I guess, easy to say. Um, and then there's all these changes that have been happening. I mean, hours away, Puma's lost their coach as well. So I have no idea what's going on with the league. Ah, just chaos. Always chaos, no matter what. It, it just, it always seems like it's chaos. But, I mean, given all of that, given everything we've just discussed, games you're looking forward to watching this weekend? Um, let me see. Okay. <laughs> I'm obviously eager to see um, Chivas because I do think they had a really great tournament with the Copa por México. I think um, they showed that, that now they, they look a lot more solid this, well, I mean this offseason um, rather than last season. I really like some of the players. I didn't tell enough what Beltran won't be available this week or next week, but I really like what he does in the midfield uh, with someone such, so, with such experience as Jesus Molina, for instance. Um, I don't worry too much about Antuna because Angulo, for instance, had a really, really great um, performance in all the, the Copa for Mexico games. So, but still, I mean, Chivas against León seems amazing. Cruz Azul against Santos. There's always this pressure, this eternal pressure of Cruz Azul uh, coming forward and just being champion for the first time in 24 years. What do you now? mean, Adriana? They hold the two most prestigious cups in all Le- the land. Leagues Copa for Mexico champions. and Leagues Cup. <laughs> They just have every every tournament available to them ever since they won, like the last time they won Liga Mex, everything they won. <laughs> um, yeah, so... I, By the again, way, how, how hilariously small was that Copa por Mexico trophy? <laughs> <laughs> it was just, I don't know, it was something like, I don't know, like they gave out like a, a, a kid's tournament or something. Like <laughs> it, it, it was really small. I mean, it was a nice design, but it, it was small. <laughs> Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I'd like to see them. Um, and I, I was, um, I'm also eager to look at, at Querétaro. They're going to have the youngest coach um, in the entire league right now. And I don't know if it's the youngest ever in the MX, but somewhat really close. Um, Alex Diego is going to make his debut. He's 35 years old. I mean, there's players that are older than him. 
So that's I, I always like the fact that some club gives an opportunity to a new coach. He's had some experience with the Ascenso, uh, rest in peace Ascenso. Now it's Liga de Expansión. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see a new playing style, see who he identifies with, um, how he gets along with with with, the, with players. I mean, we we have seen some other really young coaches like Rafa Puente, for instance. Um, so it's, it's, I don't know. I, I like it when they kind of like freshen up the, the pool of coaches available. And yeah, I mean, obviously we want to see Mazatlan just because they have a new jersey and they're a new team, and we want to see their new stadium. They did terribly at the Copa por México. They I think they only scored one goal. Uh, it's not official because it wasn't an official tournament, so <laughs> they still have to do that. Um, and obviously Pachuca versus America because that's just um, they, they have like a, an interesting rivalry with Pachuca and America, so that, that'll be also interesting to see and just see how um, just see what, how America does because again they're they're waiting on those 11 tests to come back before the game, no. so they Miguel might have to switch it up a lot. I mean he does have a really really interesting squad. He, he has a he has lots of depth in in. Um, and all of his, his positions, so he does have um, some room to mingle in, but um, but still, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how he does with against Pachuca. Yeah, also, please, everybody stop with the Fuera Piojo. Like, it was a Copa por, Me- por Mexico Cup. Yeah, come on, people. Take, I know you're in Take it easy. Award, I know you guys still. are all happy because Cruz Azul got the most prestigious award, but still, like, take it easy. He did, like, 10, and he did, like, 10 subs in one game. Like, he didn't, he literally did not care. <laughs> um <laughs> But yeah, we'll definitely see what's going on with Liga Mex. Uh, but moving on, uh, we talk a little bit about this with Tatiana later on. Still no schedule for the Liga Mex Femenil. We're just kind of just waiting, just sitting here with our hands on our lap, just waiting. But that doesn't mean that news hasn't continued. Uh, Adriana Cruz Azul made a jersey announcement with the women. Super cool. Yeah, um, we had the Cruz Azul come forward with their jersey. I mean, I think ever since they were voted the like the most beautiful jersey in the world like probably like 10 years ago because they haven't changed it since so again they had this um really loyal to their history blue uh, uh, jersey um and then their second and third uh uniforms were oh, they, 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 they changed it up a bit i, I liked it I, the third uniform is it's actually like a wine color so they, they had the presentation and they um they invited the women's team along i mean they had done it before but i don't they didn't really like make them part of, of, of that presentation, in, in my opinion. So now it just seemed as though they really were part of the club. Obviously, all this was done on social media because no one's going anywhere right now. But, I mean, really amazing to see them there. And the thing was, it was the first time we've seen the women's players wear the official Cruz Azul crest. But there are rumors that they're still going to wear the Cruz Azul Hidalgo crest whenever the league starts, which is in, in April. Lame. So, yeah, that is lame because um, I remember when the league started off, they said um, that they had to wear this other uniform because they, the sponsor that they had back then didn't want to make the women's uniforms or they couldn't. Um, and now that they changed the sponsor, the official sponsor for the uniform, I think it was like a year ago, um, they kept that crest. So maybe you were thinking, oh, well, maybe they just had like, they, they were done. They, I don't know, the uniforms were, I don't know, designed already or something. But now, since it's like a soccer year, like a soccer calendar year starting off in August, um, I was really expecting them to, to switch it up and just be like, hey, well, we, we have the sponsor. Now um, they're going to give us that official crest for the women's as well. So, I mean, we haven't, we haven't seen them yet, but it does seem as though they're not going to get that crest. Those are the rumors. I, I have no official information about that. But, yeah, it's, some people are saying that um, they're going to stay with the Cruz Azul Hidalgo because, as you guys remember, 
the women's team doesn't even play in Mexico City. They play in another state, in Hidalgo, um, where they have the cement factory for Cruz Azul. So that's where they're, that's where they're playing. They're playing in Caso. And that's where years ago, Cruz Azul had another team, which was Cruz Azul Hidalgo. So apparently that's why they wear the other logo. Oh, I did not know that. I really like the way that the the white and blue striped uniform looks on the women's team. It looks pretty cool. And I know, cool. right? I, I like the design. I like that they keep it traditional colors, but they kind of switch up the design. So it's a bit more modern and everything. I, I like the, I like all three uniforms. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. But, of course, we take one step forward and then they're like, nah, JK, you're not going to use the crest. Ah, we can't have everything. No, can we? <laughs> uh, as, moving on to more Liga MX Femenine news. This one came as a quite, quite a bit of a shocker for everybody, I think, and that follows the Liga MX Femenine. Um, Chivas released a statement yesterday. Chivas Femenil saying that Villa Ceballos was out as a coach. And we're definitely going to get into this, Adriana, because we were talking about it before we started recording. But the wording of this was just so interesting. Um, our good friend Melissa from the Chivas Femenil uh, tweeted out some of the translations for the announcement. After an analysis in which we found certain differences in the way we conceive the development of our players, we decided to dispense with the services of Ramon Villa Ceballos. That is such an interesting choice of words. I don't remember the last time I read a press release that was so descriptive about the way or the reason they chose to fire or just let go of a coach. I mean, usually it's only because, hey, we think, I don't know, um, we've reached the point where we're looking at different projects or we have different goals or we're just not agreeing um, on how we should um, look into next season. And this one was more like, our philosophy will always be to defend players um, as as people, as human beings, not only because of not only because they're football players. I don't know. It was it it really did seem to be um, someone that was kind of angry with with what went on. We don't know what went on. I mean, um, but it does seem as though it was they wanted to be really. I don't know. It's like I don't know if it's aggressive or, or just really point out why this happened somehow. I mean, it, it's just you usually don't go into that much detail about why you're letting go of a coach. It, even more interesting is that there seems to be like no trail for this because you know, like when news is gonna break, like you're saying, right? There's there seems to be some kind of like lead up, right? Like the, the like we've always like you've always said, right? Like Mexican soccer for some reason has really is really bad at keeping secrets, and it just felt like this came out of nowhere and then to have the phrases be or have the words be the way that they are where they have to make that point right where i would imagine the higher up which is nancy simon having to be you know the voice and saying we have to defend our players or we have a difference in the development of our players when i mean i don't know you've been pretty you you've said a few times right she's she was she was pretty happy with the choice of having ceballos as a coach yeah, I mean, every time you, you talk to her, you, you could know that she was really, really happy when when he left Tigres um, to, and he left his spot to Roberto Medina. I mean, all this experience he had, he went to Tigres uh, twice to play the finals. He lost once against America, and then he won the other one. Um, obviously, he must have learned tons after Osvaldo Batocletti, um, after he left the team and then uh, sadly passed away. But, I mean, this was one of the most experienced coaches you had for the MX Femenil, and just because of of the the amount of talent that they actually had to work with and everything that he could bring to Chivas. So I I know the the club was 
really, really happy to, to make him make just make him part of the team after he was available. So I, I don't know. It, it just seems like a really something must have happened. I mean, something really serious must have happened for them to take this decision less than a month away from the tournament. Yeah. And I think, I don't know, it's going to come out eventually, right? Whatever happened is going to come out one way or another. I I, I would assume that, th- that we should, I mean, we don't have the context yet, but I feel like we should in some shape, way or form, applaud the directive and specifically Nelly Simon for taking for taking this initiative I mean it had to have been a hard choice like you're saying so close to the season uh, really random timing given the way that she originally felt for him I don't know we don't know the context yet but it has to take some serious you know just some serious direction and just initiative to to know that this is in her mind again without any context the right decision to make for the club yeah agreed I mean I can't imagine having to take this decision but it does seem as though if there's something that could be more important than having a really amazing coach in your club is just having someone um you can trust in someone that's going along with your project with your philosophy and yeah i mean it just goes to show that no one is more important than the club itself so hopefully we'll get a really interesting coach to to make up uh that position for next season i mean she is a club that no matter who's in charge is expected to make it all the way to liguilla they do have a really a great squad. I mean, I think they could still add a couple of players, maybe on offense, maybe just to make sure that they're competing against other teams that are always uh, making it difficult for everybody else. Rayados, Tigres, maybe America. So I mean, I know uh, I'm sure they're working on it as as it is, and and hopefully we'll have a new coach soon. Also, before they have to have a good season before Nicole Perez heads to NWSL. What, what, wasn't she leaving like a year ago? Do you remember that? I mean, I was I remember her and it was also um oh wait, who was it? Who was it? someone that was going to, to Houston? Wait. I'm trying to remember um, who it was. Ovaya. Ovaya, yeah, wasn't she? Ovaya leaving? and Kathy Martina. They were supposed to be like the like a like a pair, like a tra- like a like a set trade. It for... was such a strong rumor. Yeah. Crazy. I don't know what happened, yeah. I have um, no idea. And now they're, they're going to start playing and we can't go cover games and go ask them. <laughs> now we can't talk to them. Yeah, it's all right. We'll ask Wiso. We'll tell Wiso to let us talk to some of the Leo Max Feminine players. Yes. I'll make it up. Yeah, hopefully. I don't know. He might be a jerk and make us feel out of form like a jerk. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Now to segue into our discussion with Tatiana Briseños. Um, really hope you enjoy it. It has a lot of cool things to talk about when it comes to the NWSL. Um, to LA, which is really great news that we heard early this week. Talk about the Campeonas MX uh, campaign with the Pioneras that they're doing and give us a little insight on in what's happening with Liga MX Femenil. So I, we really hope you enjoy it and thank you guys so much. Here's our interview with Tatiana Briseños. All right, guys, and today we welcome back. She's not sick of us. I'm so happy that she agreed to be on this <laughs> pod again. Tatiana Briseños. Liga, I mean, Leon Feminine's digital team and creator of Campeonas MX. Tatiana, how are you today? Hi, girls. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. No, yeah, thank you so much. Uh, and, of course, we kind of wanted to get into uh, the Campeona MX campaign you guys are going on with Bayoneras. But I, we wanted to get your insight first because Campeones MX does such a great job talking about women's soccer in general. I mean, you guys have had some really cool videos about the NWSL and like the tournament going on and everything. So what were your immediate thoughts to the news that NWSL is heading to Los Angeles? Well, I think 
It was uh, some kind of news we were waiting for. We have this uh, correspondent in LA, Marianela Camelo, and she was day by day praying that an NWSL team ended somehow in Los Angeles. So we had like these theories if there was going to be some Mia Ham team or if there was going to be something with LAFC or LA Galaxy. But well, I think this news just surprised us all. It was amazing to see the power of women together because, I mean, it's not just only soccer women, it's women from every industry I, I can say and it was like really a surprise to see Natalie Portman uh, like guiding this new project I think I don't know maybe uh, when women support women uh, being in the industry uh, they are like uh, and Natalie Portman and being an actress and I don't know uh, maybe uh, Mia Hammond at soccer or uh, Glennon Doyle and Abby Wambach being also in the soccer industry but joining everyone together and saying we're going to make a team because if no one does it then we are going to do it I don't know that just hypes me up see Amy there's still some opportunity for us let's just think about those things where do you want an NWSL team to go to now <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they, already, they already took LA, which was that was probably like the next um, the next city. I think we were all expecting to have an NWSL team. By the way, I saw some fans that actually had a, a Twitter account that said, yeah. um, "Bring NWSL to, to Dude, LA." That was hats off to awesome. them. They've been doing that for years. Like they have yeah. just been on it for a, such a long time. This is probably such a validating moment for them because they were everywhere. They're at LASC games, they're at LA Galaxy games, just with their flag, just hoping one day eventually it would come. So that's a pretty, and that's a pretty cool moment. I think moment. Uh, that that was how Natalie Portman get into the NWSL at LA project because this girl, uh, she's called Lindsay, the one that uh, managed all the NWSL uh, LA stuff. And I think she made such a big army and it couldn't be, be stopped, you know. So I think Natalie Portman and all the other, uh, I don't know, partners in the project saw that and they realized it was going to be a, a, a well-known project. So I don't know, it's amazing the, the power that social media and that one person can have. This project of NWSL LA was in every LAFC game and it was amazing to watch uh, even a part of women's soccer being on a men's uh, field you know I just, I just regret I the fact that we um, that we haven't really heard from either MLS team saying that they're going to participate I mean I did hear LAFC just like making sure that it, it wasn't them just being like oh no we're not the ones that are interested in having that team for now the women's team And then I saw some vi some um, reports from the Athletics saying that LA Galaxy didn't deny or confirm, so they might be doing something with them. I'm not quite sure if it's official or if it's, they're still like talking or, or negotiating. Um, but I, I was really pleased to see that. I mean, it seems as though something could happen. I mean, everyone thought it was going to be LAFC because they're the newer team, and Mia Hamm is also involved, and she's a sponsor. She's also one of the the partners in LAFC, but. Um, despite that, I'm, I'm so happy that it went to LA. I mean, it's just, I mean, we saw um, Louisville have their announcement earlier this year, and I was like, 
I mean, you kind of think about audiences and you're like, why Why doesn't LAFC have another like a team again? I know they had one years ago, I think it was like over 10 years ago, but it just seemed like something so obvious to have for as an audience. I mean, for, you have the MLS teams, you, you have such a big Latin audience, Hispanic audience. So it just seemed like a no brainer to have a team there. Um, so I'm, I'm really happy about that. I mean, so much participation. I saw, um, I even saw a comparison. I think they caught, they got like 52,000 followers on Instagram. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> was crazy. Yeah. That was I crazy. Was, as much as we've all been waiting for it, especially NWSL to LA people, Twitter people, I think it kind of came at almost the perfect moment. I don't know. I think with the, with NWSL in this current situation, having their TV rights deal happening, um, you know, all of us definitely getting excited for when Liga MX Feminine finally comes back. <laughs> all the good stuff that we're going to be talking to Tatiana about what they're doing, of what Campeonas MX is doing for, you know, Mexican women's soccer. I think this was like a perfect culmination of like the right time for LA to get a team. Because, I mean, now it's open to everybody. LA is one of those kind of diverse markets that, yeah. Amer- uh, you know, U.S. women's national team fans are getting excited, but hey, how many Mexican-Americans or just Mexican players do you think are kind of yeah. pretty excited to want to head over here to LA? Yeah, we were talking to Dani Calderon, a player here in Club León, and she was like so happy and excited because of this team. She was like, I mean, we know now that we have some kind of opportunity to go on and chase a dream to go and being a professional footballer in L.A., I was listening listening also to Bob Bradley from LAFC and he was like also super excited because of this. He's, he was saying that Los Angeles is a city for soccer. So I guess it's going to be an amazing project. Definitely, definitely. And speaking of amazing projects, see, that's my cool segue. Um, we're so happy to have Tatiana here because if you guys have been vocal, which I think you do if you listen to this pod, Campeona MX has had this really amazing campaign going on this month um, that we kind of prefaced in our last episode uh, called Bayoneras. And it's essentially that. It's been 50 years, if you guys don't remember, from when the OG. Well, actually, Tatiana, I'll let you explain it. What exactly is Bayoneras? <laughs> Well, Pioneras, uh, I don't know, we were uh, some kind of searching for a project or searching for a text or a document where we could find the history of women's soccer in Mexico. And, you know, it's really sad that you just cannot find the files. So we were talking uh, with Cambio de Cancha, with Marisol Ibarra, with Clau Pedraza, with Capitana Soccer, and we were like, well, if we can find the history then let's go on for it so i don't know it all started uh, because we knew that this july this month uh it's like the birthday the anniversary the 50 years uh that the first mexican squad woman mexican squad traveled to italy to uh, I don't know, compete in the first uh, women's World Cup. It wasn't official because at that time uh, FIFA didn't regulate it, uh, women's soccer as an official competence, but it was uh, like an amazing and a unique, uh, I don't know, fact for women's soccer because that's where the first Mexicans appeared like internationally, you know. One year later, in 1971, we had a Women's World Cup here in Mexico. It wasn't official also, but the Estadio Azteca got full and the the Mexican squad got the second place playing a final. So 
I don't know, we wanted to rescue all of these stories and get to know that there were some pioneras that were fighting back in 1970. So now we can have our Liga MX feminista. That's just so amazing. I mean, if you guys, if, if someone can Google the photos of that 1971 World Cup, I mean, it, that was when the Estadio Azteca actually allowed like 110,000 people to be in the stands. Mm -hmm. Afterwards, now they, they changed the seating and it's a little bit different mm -hmm. for security reasons. So now it's down to like 80,000. But just imagine 110,000 back in 1971 um, at that World Cup. I mean, it's just so amazing. I, there were so many players got the chance to go to that, well, to participate in that World Cup after going to the one in Italy in 1970, um, getting that, that kind of um, payback um, from after they, they were eliminated, uh, making it to the final. And then sadly enough, they lost. But it, you, hear, you start hearing all these amazing stories about how they actually wanted um, they were they were looking into not even playing the final because they they wanted some kind of compensation. I mean, because they were playing, they're they're, they're players. I mean, they dedicated hours and hours to being prepared for this, and the federation just wouldn't give them anything. So then a few a few hours before the final, they decided, okay, let's just do it. Fans are there. I mean, they had <laughs> it was such an, an an incredible and historic moment. I mean. Just going back to all that and thinking that almost 50 years later, it's what it took us to actually have a professional women's league in Mexico, just goes to show that, yeah, some of these steps are really bold and they're in the right direction, but they take so long to actually happen. I also thought it was so cool. I mean, it's it's cool. It's cool. And also not, I don't want to say sad because that's not the word I'm looking <laughs> for, but I thought it was so cool to hear them have like this fandom for like specific soccer teams and stuff right like they were like they loved so like especially for the, that first segment that you had with the Pioneers, like the the love that they had I know some of them were like Chivas fans other than were like America fans but it was like in that context I can only imagine culturally what it was like to be a woman to want to love these teams but society was almost like telling you that you couldn't Um, that I thought was just, you know, when you actually look at it that way, and like you're saying, Adriana, right, compared to where we are now, where we're all so excited to watch women's sports, um, the context of it is just, it's just insane. Uh, Adriana, how did you, like, I mean, obviously you're a journalist, so obviously, but <laughs> how did you, how did it come about that you were able to, like, get in contact with them and then have them agree to be, like, part of this panel? I think I have to give all the credit to Claudia Pedraza and Marisol Ibarra. They had like a lot of contact with every soccer player from 1971 to uh, to now to right now, and it was amazing to watch. I mean, uh, the players from 1971: Alicia Vargas, Elvira Aracén, Marta Coronado. Uh, I I thought I was going to be able to listen to them all day long because i don't know their their stories were so amazing and so inspiring because they were talking about the fact that their parents just didn't let them play their brothers told them like you can play soccer go to a kitchen please make me some sandwiches and they were like no we want to play soccer and we're going to play soccer we're going to go to italy and we're going to reach a final in 1971 so I think uh, also the, the companion of Geo Gonzalez, of uh, Marion Reimers, just added uh, some kind of special stuff to this experience. But uh, yes, I, I guess having all those voices that uh, some kind are not uh, how recogni recognized they 
they could be or, or they had to be is just amazing. I think also having like uh, this comparison with Ana Paola Lopez and having her uh, moderating a panel, it was uh, just an amazing stuff to hear all those stories. Yeah, yeah and, and 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 I was also gonna ask. I mean, how do you come about? I mean, you you have their contacts and everything, but how surprised were they to actually get the phone call and see everything you guys were doing? And it was it and was it difficult? I mean, I, I don't know if they all live where they used to, or if they're all based in Mexico City or, or surrounding areas. Was it very difficult for them? Did they, were they surprised as well? They were surprised because of the project, because they didn't expect that someone would recognize the 50 years of uh, women's soccer here in Mexico, you know. Uh, I think the the conversation that we had most problem problems with was the one with Charlene, with Pame Tajonar, with Ceci Santiago, because they are in Europe, and Marion Reimers and uh, all the Pionera team are here in Mexico. So it was like a, a problem with the schedule, but I don't know, some kind uh, of unity from everyone at, at this uh, industry is a, a special thing that makes you want to participate, you know. So we it was amazing to not have problems with contacting the people and with having their them participating. They were like so happy and yesterday talking with Mariana, uh, the director of Liga MX Femenil, she was saying that they also, uh, as, a, as Liga MX Femenil, they didn't expect that this project has uh, or had such a, a success. That's just so amazing. I mean, just thinking, because I saw that you guys went from, from different points in history. I mean, you started off with the generation in 1970, but then you also had that in-between generation, you know, the, the Maribel generation, um, Fatima and everybody. And so you kind of went like, it was like a timeline and you guys went to yeah. when, what some people don't even know was the Women's World Cup in 1970 and then 1971. And then went into that, that mid transition, kind of like getting to know a bit more about me the Mexican women's players. And then now all these other players that are I mean, it's not that they're actually like, enjoying everything that was done previously, because I, I think they're also struggling themselves to open up so many doors. But still, I mean, it was like a consequence of everything that's been going on. And, and you have to look back at all those generations that did have to struggle and go against all these cultural influences and just thoughts. I mean, I, I can't imagine if it's difficult now. We hear this from Liga Mekis Femenil players right now that they say, oh, my parents weren't didn't agree with me playing soccer. I mean, they kind of got used to it or I had to start playing with boys. I can't imagine what would that be like, like in 1970. But if it's a problem still now, which is amazing, I can't imagine yeah. what it was in 1970 when you had to go say, I want to play soccer. You're like, no. Because I was also hearing these amazing anecdotes. Um, when they traveled, they didn't actually have like a travel uniform. So they just told everyone, okay, you just need like a black skirt and that's your, that's your uniform. Everyone's going with a black skirt. And I think when they arrived in Italy, they didn't even have a flag. So they kind of had an Italian flag and yeah. instead, of ha instead of having an eagle in the center, they they put like like an Aztec calendar because that's I don't know somehow that that was what they thought went in the middle. So you start hearing all these things. Um, I think they were actually practicing at a monastery as well because they didn't have anywhere else to practice in Italy. So they just started practicing out, out on the street. And then a priest came by and said, "Hey, you can you guys can come and practice over here by the church or something." Yeah. Um, and then when they left for the game. 
everyone from from the church or the uh, yeah from the church actually went be like behind them and was following them towards like wherever they were playing. So I mean, th these are really really amazing experiences. I hope everyone has a chance to look them up. Um, which which by the way, that where can people listen to all these um, to all these stories in case they didn't have a chance to see them live? Well, they are all at the YouTube channel. Is uh, Pioneras 50 years, bueno, 50 años del fútbol mexicano en español, and you can find all of the chats there. I mean, if you can have the the opportunity to listen to them, even the first one from from the 1970s, it's just amazing. I think. Uh, those women have the courage that right now uh, the, the players in Liga MX Feminine also have, and it's something like that unite everyone. Definitely. And if you want like a crash course, essentially, like if you wanted, I don't know, like a YouTube series of what Mexican women's soccer has been, that's definitely a great YouTube page. Uh, Tatiana, the, the month is ending, but you guys still have more stuff coming up next week, correct? Yeah, next week we are going to focus more at social media stuff and uh, broadcasting because, well, it's uh, not so far the, the beginning of Liga MX Feminine, so we want to add something also for, for social media stuff. And, well, I think we are going to have also great voices, great women, and also men that are working on the industry. So, well, July, it's not over yet, and July, it's the mess. It's the month of, pi of Pioneeras. Entonces, we, we wait for, for all of you to, to join us in the, in the last... Uh, Thursday of July. <laughs> Definitely. So go ahead and take a look. Follow Campeonas MX on Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook, and just pay attention. They do really great stuff on on content. I do want to ask Tatiana. You can you can choose to not answer if you want. <laughs> was there somebody on your list that was like that you hoped to get but unfortunately couldn't? Like that that you can that you can admit. You don't have to, but I'm just I'm just curious. Well, um, I can admit one, uh, Maribel Dominguez, we wanted to have her so bad oh, because, man. I mean, her voice, it's like, it's worth tons of gold, but uh, she, you know, had a an, an difficult schedule and, well, we, we just were sad, we, we didn't have them, but I don't know, it, it just, everything got right at the end. So I, I am hoping at one future, near future, we can have the, the voice of Maribel Dominguez. That'd be amazing. That'd be absolutely amazing. Uh, is there anything else uh, before we kind of ask you a few more questions about the league uh, that you kind of just want to go ahead and say about, you know, obviously next week is the last week, but I just like overall thoughts, like you mentioned, like it's all kind of come together but you know especially as like the creator like how does it feel to kind of have this sort of campaign um you know being broadcasted like on your platforms and stuff I think it was like I, I don't know I always think obviously with with our team with campeonas with capitana with cambio de cancha that and and we say it's something that maybe it's passionate for us but we don't know if we can transmit that passion to someone else and watching all the comments uh the the people were leaving and not only women but men also uh, by saying thanks for this chat because i really didn't know the story of liga mx feminine or i didn't know the story of women's soccer and i 
didn't really know that in 1971 we had uh, a national squad that go went on for a final on a women's world cup so i think um that kind of thought of i'm giving something back to the community uh, that loves women's soccer but maybe does not have the knowledge uh, of where it's coming from it's something that full us up full us all <laughs> And I think that's one of the amazing parts of like women's soccer community, right? We're all just kind of yeah. <laughs> creating the history. I mean, not creating the history because obviously Bayonetta is like 1970. They created the history. They're like the exactly that. They're the pioneers. But it almost feels like we're all like digging into information ourselves and just kind of collectively learning about all this together that I really, not just like within Mexican women's soccer, but just like women's soccer in general always feels like that. There's definitely a much more like collaborative um, anecdotal aspect to it that I always really appreciate when it comes to just like the coverage and everything. I agree, I agree. So, so I don't know, it's so um, joyful <laughs> the fact that we can share this passion with someone else, with someone like you, with someone like Adriana, and that we can somehow learn because, uh, like I was saying, it was it's not on books, it's not on a text you can find in Wikipedia. So, learning it from the real voices, the the women that really were there, it's just worthless. Definitely. And Tatiana, before we let you go, have you heard uh, another thing you can also uh, opt to not answer? <laughs> have, you heard, have you heard anything about the Liga MX Feminine? We're about a month away from it coming back, but any insight, anything that we could possibly give the listeners uh, like a, something to grab onto? <laughs> Well, it, it's difficult, you know, because of the the situation we're living. I mean, men's soccer, it's uh, starting and going they, fantastic. Yeah. And and they had a lot of doubts of what's going to be this tournament, how it's going to go on. So I'm really hoping that uh, on August 14, the Liga MX Feminine can go on. But I'm also for for another part, um, like with this, I don't know, intrigue of it's going really to go back or are we going to wait or what? Because uh, we were told like uh, last week that we were going to have this schedule this week, but it's not uh, released yet. So I guess the girls, I'm just hoping like you to have some news uh, like uh in in a near future yeah yeah i think we're all kind of fearful i mean uh the men's tournament hasn't even started um once we're recording this and we already had two games that were postponed i mean yeah, yeah. they will take place which is great i think if you look at it that way if you want to look at the glass half full um but it just goes to show that um i mean we are taking a big risk of just making this league go forward Um, yesterday we heard Robert Dante Siboli say um, that he doesn't think that the players' health are being taken too seriously, um, yeah. and, and it is kind of like a risk. I mean, I understand it. I mean, but I think all leagues are are kind of at, like at the same crossroad. I mean, you can't not have a league because that means you're going to affect so many jobs, and, and there's just so much money involved. And I do understand it's not not as important as players' health. Um, but it, it does affect so many people, not only the players. And then on the other hand, you're like, well, you are risking the players. I mean, I think we've been really fortunate to see that despite all these cases in Liga MX, um, all, all, all of the cases that we've heard of have been asymptomatic. 
but I just fear for the one that won't be, you know, so, so it is, it is something that is, I know really fearful with, with the teams, with the fans. I mean, it's really professional for looking at them and saying that they're going to go through with this. But if they say they're scared, if they say they're nervous, if they say they're not quite sure this is the best decision, I could totally understand that because before big players, they, they are human beings. And I think uh, one of uh, the interesting points that's having place in the United States is the fact that some players said that they are not going to play, they, they were not going to participate in any tournament. It happened in the WNBA, it's got happening also in the NWSL. We had Orlando Pride, we had Megan Rapinoe, and I don't know how far here in Mexico we are from having those news, you know. I think uh, for some part, Uh, concerning about your health it's and the health of your family it's something that's going to be every second in, in the first place yeah definitely so we'll, we'll definitely keep an eye on that um, obviously we're as always we're excited we want it to come back but we want it to be within the, the right parameters and as safely as yeah. possible so definitely going to keep an eye on that Tatiana, thank you so much again for joining us. Thank you for tolerating me. And we're so <laughs> excited uh, to see what comes up with Campeona Mekis and the fantastic stuff you guys have already done with this campaign. And of course, everything you guys have going forward. Uh, once again, where can our listeners find you? Well, you can find me by arroba Tatiana Brie and, well, in Campeona Mekis, arroba Campeona Mekis in Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And You know, it's it's really a pleasure to to be here with you. I can practice my English by uh, talking about women's soccer. That's the thing that I love the most. So it's perfect. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. As always, keep up with the content. There's plenty over there at Campeones Mekis, so you have no reason to not know about women's soccer. Um, keep up with the hashtags Liga MX FEMENG, Liga MX ENG, because at the end of the day, it is our football. Okay, guys, thank you so much. We'll see you next week.